0: welcome back everybody extra points nfl podcast what is going on i hope you guys had an incredible weekend and i don't even know guys it it, i I just want to jump right into it we had some incredible incredible games of football for it it feels like the first time in a while because i I can't even remember the last time we had so many i guess exciting games It, it seems like every single game for the most part, I mean, outside of a couple Titans-Broncos, but we'll get into that later. Giants-Texans, that one was kind of shitty too. But outside of that, we had some really good games. And a lot of them were some pretty surprising results. But there was a lot of good stuff going on this week. And it was a ton of fun. Obviously, it's Monday. It's going to be our preview episode. I'm hoping this will this will post earlier in the morning when I'm recording it. But you never know, it might post a little bit later in the afternoon. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with that being said... Let's get right into it. Let's get right into reviewing this whole week, and obviously let's start with our Germany game. It was the first game that the NFL has had in Germany in, I think, forever. I I, want to say that it is forever, and man, it it was a good one. It, It started off, I guess, not so much so, but... It really ended in a spectacular fashion, and I, I know that this was one of my predictions where it was pretty bold. I said that I would take the Seahawks by a ton, and I expected a win here, and I mean, I don't feel too put off by the fact that I was wrong here, because this this was a very good game, but I think that the, that the Seahawks really just kind of shot themselves in the foot and took themselves out of this game. Obviously, Geno Smith had that really costly fumble uh, down there late. That he, it just popped right out of his hands into the other into the defender's arms. That was that was brutal. I mean, what's his name? Nelson? I'm, tr- I'm, tr- I'm blanking on his first name here. I think Anthony Anthony Nelson just popped right up into his hands. He was he, he benefited strongly from that. He was sending Geno Smith a handwritten thank you letter after the game for that. And then just just kind of defensive hiccups getting in there. I guess, where the Seahawks couldn't. They they had a couple of picks that they dropped. Yes, they did actually pick Brady off once. And Leonard Fournette, oddly enough, as well. But there were were another couple of just just dinky passes, one right to Jordan Brooks that hit him in his hands and he just dropped. But they really could have capitalized on some stuff like that down uh, early in the game, which probably would have made it not so close this late in the game. And I I think that, honestly, I, I have a couple observations, at least for... This whole review show for each team, I have at least one thing that stuck out to me. And I'll start here with the Seahawks. The whole observation was the fact that Geno Smith got it got it going a little too late, which he really did because he was pretty pitiful for the entire honestly first half. I want to say he didn't look too great. He hasn't looked like the caliber that he has been playing at, and it went into halftime 14 to nothing, and it went until what, early in the fourth that the Seahawks were able to put up points again, that they were finally able, and obviously just before that, they they had that fumble. And by by points, I mean like outside of the field goal that they had on their first drive. you know. But more so than that, just kind of re-watching the game, I didn't realize that it was this bad until I looked at the box score, but the Seahawks had no rushing game whatsoever. I mean, Geno Smith had a couple of scrambles where he got a couple of yards there, but Kenneth Walker, he had 10 carries for 17 yards. That's just ridiculous. I it, it was crazy. The Seahawks' total rushing yards were 39 this game. Now, outside of Geno Smith only having 275 yards through the air, I mean, just barely over 300 yards is not a recipe for success on offense. And that really did seem to cost him. Obviously, with uh, Kenneth Walker being bottled up for most of the time, they, they tried to get him involved through screen passes and stuff like that. He, he got a lot of targets through the air. He had, he had It seemed like almost double-digit targets. And, I mean, I I guess that that's one way to get get him going, but the thing is they needed to get him going on the ground in order to do that to let Geno Smith kind of benefit off the play action for DK, for Tyler Lockett, Marquise Goodwin, all their speedster wide receivers who typically benefit off of stuff like that. I mean, getting the defenders to bite and stuff like that allows for a speedster to get open deep, but fortunately that just didn't happen. And the run game looked pitiful for what seemed like the first time all season long. And... I mean, yeah, Geno Smith got things going a little bit too late down there, which it it stinks. It it definitely does, and I I thoroughly enjoy watching Geno Smith play. Like I said, he's been playing like a top-five quarterback, and honestly, this game wasn't much different. He got it going on late, so a lot of it you could say is just garbage time stats, but overall, he looked better than Tom Brady did. He had more yards, same amount of touchdowns, one less interception. I mean, I guess he did have that fumble, but I mean, you're picking up what I'm putting down. He's working with a little bit less than Tom Brady is as well, and he, he continued to look well. It just was a little bit too late to it to, uh, I guess, have mattered, really. And without that fumble there in the red zone during that, say they get a touchdown there, I mean, hey, it's 23-21, to 21, they're winning the game. But, I don't know, I don't want to be that guy that's saying, oh, well, if this would have happened, shoulda, woulda, coulda, I hate all that stuff. And honestly, there's a lot of that to go around for all of these games, which we'll get into in a little bit. Now, shifting over to the Buccaneers' side, it was a little stagnant, I'm not going to lie, on offense. And there was a couple interesting Decisions, I guess. Uh, Obviously, first and foremost, that being that of Leonard Fournette, his his pass intended for a 45-year-old Tom Brady who fell down. It was picked off, and he got called for tripping after that. I don't, um, I don't really mind the play call. I guess. I mean, I get throwing in a little trick play, but the game wasn't really out of reach when they decided to do it. So I think that that really cost them. It really cost him some points. It, it really just cost him something there. I mean, it was coming out of halftime. Sure, the Seahawks got a touchdown. It was still 14 to 3. There's absolutely no reason for them to do that. the essentially uh, Philly special. And Tariq Wolin gets another interception there. Uh, Tom Brady obviously trips him, but more so on top of that, why the hell are you throwing to Tom Brady? The dude's 45 freaking years old. Tariq Woolen's, what, 22, fast as all hell, pretty tall, lengthy? What the hell are you doing throwing Tom Brady's way? I mean, I know that they can't um, know that they can't really tell Leonard Fournette who to throw to, but on, on the design, I mean, you, you kind of know where he was going, and he probably should have just kept it and taken a loss or tried to run with it or something like that, but whatever, I digress. The big takeaway for me, at least on the Buccaneers side of things is, I'm not sure about you guys, I think Rashad White is him. at least for the buccaneers run game he had 22 carries the first time that a tampa bay running back has had over 20 carries in god knows how long and also he had over 100 yards 105 which is also the first time that I've seen a running back for the Buccaneers do that in a long time. Leonard Fournette also had 14 carries, put up just over 50, had a touchdown there, so he didn't do too badly either, but it was really weird to see the Buccaneers only throw the ball a total of 30 times if you count Leonard Fournette's ridiculous pass. And rush it 44 times. I mean, 30 to 44. That's what one to one and a half of a run-pass ratio. That's pretty crazy. It's it's almost one to 1.5, which is you don't see that too much, much less by a team led by Tom Brady, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, who finally got in on some action today. It was pretty crazy, and I think that that's really promising, especially with London. I mean, I I don't. I think he only had a one or two year contract, but. If they want to move on from him, get a little bit cheaper and younger at the position, Rashad White, he looks to be the answer. They ran the ball so well against the Seahawks. So well. They really, really did. I mean, the team itself was averaging 3.7 yards per carry, but if you take away uh, the carries that Tom Brady and Keyshawn Vaughn accounted for, and that includes Tom Brady's uh, kneel downs, they're averaging almost 4.5 yards per carry between White and Fournette, which is incredible. And then on top of that, they finally, finally, got Julio Jones going, and the passing offense just seemed to come together. Yes, Tom Brady did have that pick towards the end, and he had a couple others that should have been caught, like the one that went directly to Jordan Brooks. That was a little uncharacteristic of him, but he looked very side of that. He was extremely accurate, I mean, what are we talking about here, about over 70%, 258 yards, he had the two touchdowns, Chris Godwin, he had a good game, Mike Evans, it seems like every single time they needed a big play, he would make it, and it wasn't anything flashy, like his longest pass was only 29 yards here, uh, to, to Mike Evans but it seemed like every single crucial third and short or something like that he make a big body play or something like that Chris Godwin was making some clutch plays down the stretch Julio Jones broke free for a long 30 plus yard touchdown first time I've seen that from him and I don't even know how long yeah the Buccaneers looked really really good now I don't know if it's like how Tom Brady said like last week they just needed that win he said it felt so effing good right after the game that was his quote and it seems like the Buccaneers are finally starting to get it together. I don't know how much I, how much faith I have in them uh, as a playoff team yet, but it seems like they're going to win their division. The Saints, who we thought were their competition, they're pretty bad. The Falcons, who were really the division leaders prior to a week or two ago, they just lost to the Panthers, so might be throwing that by the wayside here. And then the Panthers are the Panthers. So... Yeah, I mean, the Buccaneers are going to kind of sleepwalk their way to a home playoff game in the first round, even if they're the four seed, still get a home playoff game. And from then on, I'm not going to count Tom Brady out. So especially if the Buccaneers, I mean, hey, they're five and five. And we remember just a couple of years ago when they won the Super Bowl, they started off below 500 as well. So it's nice to see them start to get their shit together is really all I'm saying. Now, next up, one of honestly, probably the game of the year. I had so much fun watching this game, and it was Fox's game of the week for a damn reason. I'm talking about the Minnesota Vikings going to play the Buffalo Bills. What a game. Oh my, every single thing that you think could have happened in this game, it happened. And I mean, the storyline here for me was kind of just the battle of the brothers in James Cook being outshined by Dalvin Cook, uh, his brother obviously for the Vikings, but he really wasn't outshined for most of the game because both of them were relatively stagnant. And, I mean, I guess I'll start there before I get into the Bills point, which is just a slew, just an overwhelming amount of comedic just errors that just had me laughing. It was pathetic, just the errors and miscues and stuff that I saw by the Bills. And don't worry, guys, I have a rant coming on them in just a little bit here, but let's start with the Vikings. They started off pretty sloppy, I'm, I'm not going to lie, in the first half, obviously, it ended 24-10, which is the exact score that it was for the Bills against the Packers and uh, oh well like I said I'll get into that a little bit later started off uh, their, their defense started off well forcing the Bills to punt and then they marched right down the field with a couple of strikes to Justin Jefferson who god my prediction for him being uh, offensive player of the year looks better and better every week outside of Tyree Kill but whatever either way right to Justin Jefferson they marched down the field get a touchdown they allowed the Bills to answer and from then on it seemed like the Vikings couldn't do anything They punted Kirk Cousins through a pretty bad interception, kicked a field goal, they turned it over on downs and ended the quarter in a punt. So, yeah, they they only put up 10 points in the first half, and it seemed like they they weren't doing too well. Like I said, Kirk Cousins had a pretty bad interception there. I don't know if it was because of the snow, the cold, the wind, or anything like that that was having an effect on it, but along with that, Dalvin Cook was held to an insignificant amount of yards. Did pretty much nothing. And... If you take away the fact that in the second half when he had that long 81-yard touchdown run, he only had a total of 38 yards on 13 carries. So he was getting bottled up for most of the time, but the thing is when you have a guy like Dalvin Cook, he's a home run threat. So as long as he gets the volume, which he did, he got 14 carries... Uh, for me, a good amount of carries for any running back is really, if he's a bell cow or if he's a home run hitter like Dalvin Cook, it'd be, yeah, right around 12, 14 carries and more. And sure enough, he was able to hit one off, punch one home for a long touchdown. One play, 81 yards coming off of a Bills field goal to cut the lead to only 10 points. Right after that, Josh Allen threw a just an embarrassing interception. I don't know what he was looking for there. But, yeah, I mean, he threw a pick, and it was just another red zone interception. I don't know what's wrong with Josh Allen and his red zone interceptions here, but Patrick Peterson comes away with his first of the day. Vikings get the ball back, and they answer really, really quickly. Uh, yeah, they, they take it down. becomes 27-23. to 23. They, they missed the extra point there, which I, I was saying, hey, this might be crucial later on in the game. I told a friend that at the time. Bills are forced to punt, and then... Yeah, I mean, the Bills turn the ball over on downs. I know that they also had a fumble in there by, uh, Devin, by, I think, actually, no, I think that was the first half. But either way, yeah, I mean, the Bills couldn't do anything with the ball. They punted away. The Vikings get the ball, and this is kind of where shit started to get crazy. It was about three and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Vikings get the ball. They drive all the way down the field, like 70-something yards, all the way down the field until it's fourth and goal and stuff like that on the one-yard line. And they try it one time, and they, they just weren't able to do it. They, they were getting not, not really screwed over, I guess, but they had a couple of penalties on themselves. Uh, they had a touchdown that was overturned because uh, Justin Jefferson was short. They had stuff like that. And then on fourth and goal, they go for it and did not get anything. I thought he was in. I was saying that Kirk Cousins was in. I thought he scored the touchdown, but no. And, yeah, so the Bills get the ball turned over on downs and it seems like right about now they should they should be able to win the game right it's 27 to 23 there's 40 seconds left so really all you need to do is just kind of plunge a little bit forward or waste the time and punt it away or something like that and so my brother and i my older brother were saying like I don't know, like watch something go wrong. I could feel something going wrong here. It just didn't feel right to me. And sure enough, Josh Allen, he fumbles the snap from the center. I don't know if it was his fault. I don't know if it was a bad snap or something like that. It looked like a little bit of both on the broadcast when they were showing it, but the Vikings since recover the ball, and since the ball was coming from the one-yard line, they recovered in the end zone for a touchdown, putting the Vikings ahead by three. Now the Bills get the ball back and were able to execute a pretty damn good drive down the field and kick an extra point, but it wasn't really enough. And I'll get into all the kind of botched calls and stuff by the refs, uh, the Bills once I talk about the Bills here, but yeah, it went to overtime. The Vikings get the ball first, march down the field are held again. Uh, right in the red zone they decide to go for it on fourth and well not not go for it but go for the field goal on fourth and goal they give the Bills the ball back and the Bills kind of take it from there but once again I'll get into that when I switch over and talk about the Bills but it ultimately ends in a Josh Allen interception uh, in the end zone by Patrick Peterson ending the game for the Vikings now let's switch over to the Bills side of things And you guys know, I am an avid Bills fan, so this game was a little bit especially hurtful to me. It definitely did hurt. What am I talking about? Well, let's just start from the beginning, I guess. Josh Allen was not supposed to play in this game. You guys heard me say it on the preview show. I did not want him anywhere near this field. I said, just give it to the Vikings, let them have the win, and let Josh Allen rest. That was not at all what happened. And did did it matter much? I don't know. Uh, to me, Josh Allen still did not look good. I think that it, a lot of it could have be, been because of uh, the injury there. He looked good on the ground, but through the air, he was just constantly under people. He probably had three or four balls that should have been intercepted that weren't. He was constantly throwing it behind people, like on the last play of the game in overtime, which was an interception, way through the ball behind Gabe Davis, went right to Patrick Peterson. And his other interception, which I think he, I mean, he just kind of, it was just a stupid decision to throw it in there into the red zone, and, get, and Patrick Peterson got it again. He must not have seen him, but either way, it was intended for Dawson Knox, and Patrick Peterson was right in front of it. Josh Allen just did not look good. Like I said, he was making uncharacteristic mistakes, but it's its to the point where, for the Bills, I'm wondering, I'm starting to wonder if they are characteristic, of them. They look pitiful. They have no second half offense whatsoever. And it's been like this for the past three weeks. Like I said, against the Packers, the Bills were up 24 to 10, similar to like now when they they were against the Vikings, except now in the second half, I mean, against the Packers, they put up three points and Allen had two picks. This time they put up six points and Allen had two picks, both of which were crucial in losing the Bills the game. You look last week against the Jets, the Bills were up 14 to three. They had a two score lead on the jets. And they were not able to do jack shit in the second half and it caused them to lose the game. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's a Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator thing. I don't know if it's a Josh Allen thing. I don't know if it's a Josh Allen injury thing, but you cannot, you just cannot go out, go throughout a game or even the rest of the season, like how they've been playing. And like I said, I want to get into the Bills side of things. Yes. They were forced to punt. They answered in a great way. They, they responded with two straight touchdowns, both off of Devin Singletary runs, and it looked like they were really getting the ground game going. Devin Singletary looked incredible on those first two drives. He was getting a, some pretty big plays, eating up six, seven, eight, ten 10 yards a play when he was running the ball, and Josh Allen was just doing his thing, kind of game managing. And honestly, at that time, I was saying, hey, if Josh is playing like this just as more of a game manager and letting the run game do the work, I have no problem with it. And for the rest of that half, I mean, they looked good. Yes, Devin Singletary did have that crucial fumble where he coughed it up in the red zone. It looked uh, like at the end, the broadcast was saying it didn't look like a fumble, but there wasn't enough evidence to overturn the ruling on the field. So it ultimately did count as a fumble. Vikings didn't capitalize off it. And then the Bills got a touchdown right before halftime, which came off of a pretty decent pass and it went up 24 to 10. But coming out of that was just all the issues. Yes, they did get the interception, but then from then on, it was it just fell apart. They had to punt the ball away. Uh, then they eventually got the ball, moved it downfield for a field goal, but. On these drives, we're seeing Josh Allen, just like I said, throwing the ball behind him, way too far in front of him, should have been picked off on the drive that they got the field goal. I want to say that it hit Stefan Diggs, it hit like three or four other Vikings defenders and eventually hit the ground there. Vikings do get a touchdown. Then Josh Allen, like I said, he just tried to force one in the red zone. Terrible, terrible interception. Those three points really would have came in handy, even if they wouldn't have gotten the touchdown there. But I digress. Vikings get a touchdown, Bills punt, and then, like I said, the big drive where the Vikings turn the ball over on fourth and goal where I thought Kirk Cousins got it. Well, now there's video footage coming out that we're able to review, and I watched it, and it seemed just as I was reviewing watching this footage, I got a notification saying that the Bills had 12 men on the field when they made that stop. Now, it wasn't, like, 12 men directly involved in the play. It was just one guy that was trying to get off the field in time. So I guess they did effectively make the play, but still, it should have been called for five yards, and the Vikings should have had another shot at it. Now, that doesn't really matter because of, like I said, the festival of errors that there were in this game, and where Josh Allen missed, like, missed time the snap, fumbled the snap, and the Vikings recover it in the end zone for a touchdown. And then the Bills do get a field goal, and so maybe as Bills fans are saying, hey, well, we we took him down to overtime. You shouldn't have. They shouldn't have got that field goal because there was a pass to Gabe Davis for, what, 20 yards or something like that, and it was an incredible, incredible catch, I guess, if it were a catch. Because, yes, he did drag his feet, but he, how he landed, he was trying to shift the ball. The ball hit the ground. He didn't have full control. It should not have been a catch, but the Vikings used their prior timeout about a play earlier, I want to say. And that really cost him, and it didn't even go to the booth for review. So the Bills fans bailed out on that one yet again. Then you get into into overtime, and the Bills defense really steps up. It's first and goal at the two-yard line. Dalvin Cook gets stuffed for three yards. Kirk Cousins gets sacked for another 10, and then there's an incomplete pass through the end zone to make him kick a field goal. And then from there, it seems like, okay, the Bills have a chance to do something, right? I don't know why, but I wasn't feeling it. I, I, I don't have any trust in Josh Allen anymore just because of how he's been over the past couple of weeks. I mean, coming out of the bye week, he has three consecutive games with two interceptions in the second half. It's brutal. He looks like dog shit. He, I don't, like I said, I don't know if it's his arm like we saw in the, in the Jets game, but he had two interceptions prior to hurting his arm in the Jets game. He had two picks in the Packers game without hurting his arm. This game, yes, you could say that he had a hurt arm, but he still had two pitiful, stupid interceptions, which just should not have happened. And honestly, if you take them away and say they were just both incom- incompletions, once again, I hate the shoulda, what have coulda, shit, but I'm going to bring it up. Even if they were just incompletions, they would have kicked a field goal, and that would have been three points. If it was three points earlier, they wouldn't have even went to overtime. Because, because they would have just won the game outright, and if they would have had these three points in overtime, they could have at least aimed for a tie, because there's only about a minute and 12 seconds left. But anyways, on this last drive, they they run it down the field. It was, it was great. There was about a 27-yard return. Josh Allen takes an 18-yard run. Back-to-back, he goes 18 yards and then 20 yards. He hits Diggs for 7 yards, hits Diggs again for another 7 yards, and can we talk about the incredible catch that Stefan Diggs made? that incredible one-hander that he brought down only because, like I said, Josh Allen was just off target. That one was going high, and it would have been picked off if it wasn't for Diggs' incredible catch. Justin Jefferson also had an incredible catch where he just bullied the ball away in this one as well, but didn't really talk in that talk about that, but you guys know what I'm saying. I think Justin Jefferson's fucking incredible. <laughs> Pardon my French, but you know, and then, yeah, Josh Allen, it's first and 10 at Minnesota 20. He has an incomplete pass, and then at this point, I'm saying, like, just start to run the ball because I'm getting antsy. Like I said, I've Almost completely lost faith in Josh Allen throwing the ball, and he throws the ball, just pitifully underthrown to Gabe Davis, way behind him. Patrick Peterson picks it off, slides down, game over. I know that I spent a long time reviewing that game, but in my opinion, it was probably the best game of this week. And both quarterbacks were relatively even. I mean, Cousins was 30 of 50 for 357 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Allen was 29 of 43, 330 yards, one touchdown, two picks. So they both had one touchdown, two picks. Allen just averaged a little bit above it. Now here comes a little bit of a rant on the Bills for you guys. The Bills look like dog shit right now. Coming out of the bye, they have looked absolutely pitiful. I don't know if it's the fact that they get complacent after they get too much of a lead, but either way, that shit is not going to fly with their schedule coming up. They face the Browns, who, yes, they got their asses whooped this week, which we'll get into in a little bit, but outside of that, they're not a bad team and they have a good defense. I would expect, if Josh Allen continues to play like this, to throw another couple of picks against them. The Lions, they've looked very good over the past couple of weeks. They beat the Packers and they beat the Bears this this week, which, uh, once again, we're going to get into... I, I could. I, the Bills need to step up and play well there, too. It's a Thanksgiving game, too, so you know that the Lions are going to come out with heart. The Patriots, they always have a good defense. What is Allen going to do there? Then they face the Jets, the Dolphins, the Bears, the Bengals, and the Patriots. There's a bunch of divisional matchups, and now with this loss, the Bills are third in the division and not even in the playoffs. And if I'm being completely honest with you, I might not even put them at third place in the AFC right now. Judging by the looks of how they're playing, they look terrible. Josh Allen looks terrible. The Bills are inconsistent. They cannot get anything going in the second half. I don't know if they're resting on their laurels. I don't know what the hell it is, but they need to figure it out and quick because it's going to start to cost them playoff seating, which it already has. I don't think they have a shot at catching up to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, who is by far 100% the MVP in my opinion right now, and it's not even close, but it's going to affect them to maybe even getting into the playoffs in general. I mean, right now, I mean, look at everybody ahead of them. They have the Jets ahead of them, the Dolphins ahead of them, both in the division and overall. They have the Ravens who are going to be seeded ahead of them, the Titans who are, the Chiefs who are, the Patriots who are nipping on their heels, the Chargers who are doing the same, the Colts, on, well, not not the Colts, uh, the, the Bengals, honestly. I mean, the Colts are close to them in record. They're 4-5, and five. the Bills are just 6-3, and three, so... Yeah, it. I mean, that, that might just be me overreacting a little bit, but either way, just needed to get that off of my chest. Not good whatsoever for the Buffalo Bills. They need to fix their shit. Vikings, like I said, the Vikings are essentially my second team, and this game it was so incredible. i love to see it. I think that we can finally, for the Vikings haters that are going on out there, saying like, hey, the Vikings are capitalizing off a soft schedule. They just beat someone who everyone thought was a Super Bowl contender. The Vikings are Super Bowl contenders as well. Now, <laughs> kind of taking a break from that, let's go into one of the shittier games. One of the games that I am probably not going to spend all of three minutes talking about, of course, the Titans and the Broncos. 17-10, to 10, I was very, very close to being right in this game, uh, score prediction-wise, but either way, I was right about the one thing in the fact that it would be a low-scoring snooze fest, just pitiful game. Ryan Tannehill came back, and I think that that was pretty, pretty nice for them, because without him, I don't think that they would have won, and... I mean, when you look at it, Ryan Tannehill was 19 to 36, 255 yards and two touchdowns. He really carried the team today or yesterday. He really carried them because they couldn't get anything going on the ground. Derrick Henry had 19 carries but only 53 yards. The Broncos defense is a very, very good defense, and they held a relatively decent offense when Tannehill's healthy and the Titans to 17 points. So with the Broncos defense playing that well, I mean, if you would have told any other team in the entire league, and yes, I mean the Texans as well. I mean the Panthers as well. If you'd have told them, hey, you held the Titans to 17 points, any other team in this league would have said, oh, we definitely won this game, right? Except the Broncos. When you have an offense as disgusting, as vomit-inducing, as pitiful as the Broncos, holding a team to 17 points isn't enough. You need to hold a team to like 9 points if you're the Broncos because they can hardly score over 10 points like every single game. It's such a struggle for them, and I don't know why. Oh, my God. I mean, Russell Wilson, he looked bad. He threw another game-losing interception. He was just 50% on his throws, 21-42, of 42, 286 yards. Yes, he had a touchdown. I don't give a shit. He was sacked six times, and most of them were his fault. He threw a pick, and they have no ground game to speak of. In total, averaging 2.6 yards per carry. I mean, just brutal. And if you, once again, if you look at the first half, which ended 10-7, to 7, listen to all these drives. Punt, 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 punt touchdown by the Broncos punt field goal touchdown end of half and then I mean hey as if it couldn't get any worse you look at the second half and it's punt 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 uh Titans get their touchdown punt 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 fumble field goal interception end of game I mean just a brutal game and at this point for the Titans, congrats. You eked out an ugly victory. Hopefully, you guys are going to be healthy, and you did so against a good defense. So, I'm not too, there's not really much for me to take away uh, in terms of the Titans. They're a solid team. They really are. Derrick Henry was stuffed by a great defense. Not much you can do there. Broncos, you're in a pretty shitty situation because I want to say, tear it all down. Head coach needs to go. Honestly, if, if Russell Wilson wasn't paid this much money, he would need to go as well. Your quarterback sucks. Your head coach sucks. Your offense is terrible. The only good thing is the defense. So while I'm sitting here saying you need to tear it down, you can't. Because, like I said, you just extended Russell Wilson and gave him a boatload of money. And then on top of that... You also have a new head coach that you brought in. You don't want him to be one and done because you're going to need to be paying him like four or five years down the line and not be doing anything for you. Your offense sucks. I know Javante Williams is out, but you have nothing behind him. Jerry Judy went out in this game as well. You have no receivers, no quarterback who can get him anything. All you have is your defense. And I don't think that And it's obvious enough that their offense isn't good enough to, I guess, be carried by their defense. Like their offense is just that bad. I mean, it's just brutal for the Broncos. So... Yeah, sorry for the short uh, recap, I guess, but it seems like it's going to be that way for every single Broncos game this season. They're just that bad. Broncos, you're pitiful. Can't even stand to watch you. Titans, congratulations on a win. Looking forward to next week. And I mean, next, why don't I just continue to eat crow? I mean, that kind of seems what it's... I I guess that's kind of the theme of at least the past couple of weeks, and especially this week, because it was pretty hit or miss when it comes to my predictions. But let's get into a game that I I loved once again, watching this game over again. So exciting. So many points. Like I said, we had a lot of these this week. This is a divisional matchup. Detroit Lions going on to play the Chicago Bears. And let's start with the Bears here. I am, like I said, going to continue to eat crow on this one. I said that I didn't like Justin Fields too much and that the Bears would suck. Well, the Bears still do suck, but Justin Fields, at least over the past four, maybe three or four weeks, maybe he's looked great. So much so to the point that I have picked him up in a couple of my fantasy leagues and he's been carrying the load for me. I mean, oh my goodness, this dude accounted for another four touchdowns today completely carrying the Bears here because the Bears did only have 30 points. Keep that in mind. So, I mean, if you have four touchdowns, it's essentially 28 points. Obviously, I had a missed, uh, missed extra point in there as well, but I digress. Anyways, Justin Fields, he was 12 of 20, 167 yards, two touchdowns and a pick through the air. Once again, not great through the air. And I think that that's, that's something that I'm going to need to accept here when it comes to Justin Fields, when it comes to quarterbacks similar to his play style. I mean, Lamar Jackson as well, just not really that mass stats through the air. He's not going to look great through the air. He's not going to look like, I don't know, Jared Goff through the air. But the thing is, is what he can do on the ground. This is probably the second or third straight week where he's had over 100 yards on the ground and comfortably over 100 yards on the ground. He had 13 carries for 147 yards, two touchdowns. He had another long 67-yard run, which is just incredible to see. I mean, it's at the point where Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery are just backup roles to Justin Fields. It's inc- it, he's so fun to watch now. And I don't know if it's the past 4 weeks if the offensive coordinator just woke up and they're starting to use him to his full abilities, but I'm really liking it. I'm liking what I'm seeing from Justin Fields finally, and he's always been a good dude. I've never had an issue with his character. I just didn't know if he would ever be able to cut it as a starting quarterback. And hey, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm still right on the fact that he's not the greatest passer, but dear God is just an all around threat. The dude's an athlete. He looked incredible. He really, really did. I had so much fun watching him today. And this was another one of the games where there was a, a sibling matchup. And I mean, th- there was a couple of siblings slash relative showdowns going on throughout the week. And in this one, it was another, I guess, battle of the siblings in Amon Ra St. Brown and Equinemius St. Brown of the Bears. Equinemius for the Bears, he really didn't do jack shit. And he hasn't done much of anything for the Bears in quite a long time. He, Yeah, he was completely blanked on the score sheet. I'm not even sure if he was active. He, he might have been, I think he had a couple of carries in there, but yeah, he didn't do much of anything. On the flip side, though, Amon Ross St. Brown, he led his team to the crazy comeback victory, completely outshining his brother and looking like an absolute stud. Yes, it was a comeback victory. I kind of want to just touch on each team for this one before I go over the game itself as a whole, but the Lions looked very good. Like I said, Amon Ross St. Brown was kind of the driving force behind this. He had 10 catches, 120 yards, essentially. He had another two on the ground, and when you look at Jared Goff's raw passing numbers, he had, I don't know, 120 out of the about 230 that he had. So he, he made up a pretty large part of this offense, and they couldn't get anything really going on the ground once again. DeAndre Swift, he's still pretty limited. He's doing a little through the air. He only had six carries on the ground. Yes, he had a touchdown, but whatever. You know, Jamal Williams still continues to carry the rock. He had another decent day. But, yeah, I mean, it wasn't anything too special coming out from the Lions. I mean, Jared Goff, he had a fumble, but I believe they recovered it there, and they had a decent amount, maybe three sacks. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, once again, had another one there, looking good for his Defensive Rookie of the Year odds. But, I mean, going into just how this game laid out, it was so good. The, the entire first half, it seemed like every single drive something happened. There were only six total drives in the first half, three each. The Bears started with a pretty good drive, marching down the field, getting a field goal. Same with the Lions, the Lions answered. Uh, same same distance, just a couple more plays. Then the Bears folded first, punting the ball away. The Lions scored a touchdown. The Bears answered, and that was the end of the half. Ended 10 to 10, which was uh, pretty interesting to, to me. I I didn't expect it to be that close. I thought that the Bears were going to run away with this game just because of how Justin Fields was playing, and he, he looked really really good this game. Like like I said with with Justin Fields, you know. Uh, but anyways, goes into half 10 to 10. And coming out from there, it was just guns blazing. Uh, The Bears kind of took hold, and I thought that that's when they really were going to start to pull away. Forced the Lions to punt on their first three possessions, and then with the Bears on their first two, they scored touchdowns on both. This was obviously uh, one with the Justin Fields, like, 50-yard pass to Cole Komet, just in the complete blown coverage, which is crazy. His second of the half, Cole Komet had both touchdowns through the air for Justin Fields yesterday. And then they exchanged punts. Lions. They scored a touchdown, but then I was like, "Wow." I mean, may- maybe, but they're they still down by seven. I figured that the Bears would just kind of march right down the field and answer. However, that wasn't the case. Justin Fields threw a pick six, which is just brutal. It was such a it, right then. That's kind of when Uncle Mo shifted over to the Lions. And now the Bears did score a touchdown on the next drive. Justin Fields had his sixty-seven-yard touchdown run that I talked about earlier on, but they missed that extra point and once again they missed the extra point and I felt it in my stomach I was like yeah that's going to mean something that's going to matter when it comes down to it the Lions they get the ball but they punt and then they hold the Bears to a punt and then the Lions get the ball eight plays to march 91 yards down the field in just about three minutes which is pretty crazy it was a great drive by them score the touchdown kick the field goal and what did I say That extra point came to bite the Chicago Bears in the ass. They turn the ball over on downs, and that is the end of the game. It just sucks to see Justin Fields, another great effort by him to be squandered by the Bears in general, but oh well. It was a great game. Good job for the Bears. I mean, still, you guys know how I feel about it. They have a lot of work that they need to do, but at least they know that Justin Fields could potentially be their guy. Still need to see a little bit more about it, but hey, never know. We'll see. Now, another game that I think that I can touch on just quickly here. I'm talking about the Giants and the Texans. Nothing really special here. Texans continue to do Texans things. Damian Pierce is the entire offense. He had another just about 100 yards on the ground here. Did well through the air, but... They just can't get anything going passing. Davis Mills finally had a 300-yard outing, and it was spread just consistently over everybody. He doesn't have a number one receiver, I mean, outside of Brandon Cooks, but he was covered, so you saw things go to Nico Collins, Chris Moore, Jordan Aikens. I mean, Rex Burkhead, Damian Pierce, they were in there. A little bit of a mess here. And the Giants, they did just what they needed to win. I mean, Daniel Jones was efficient as hell, 13-17 for 197 yards and two touchdowns. And guess what? That is a perfect—or, wait— Is that a perfect? No, no, that wouldn't be a perfect pass rating, but it's pretty damn close to it. And Saquon Barkley, once again, just looks like an absolute animal on the ground. He took over Nick Chubb for lead leading the league in rushing yards. He had 152 on 35 carries today. I mean, dear God, he had a touchdown as well. Didn't do too much through the air, but didn't really matter. I mean, Darius Slayton was the main beneficiary. Isaiah Hodgins, who they just signed from the Buffalo Bills, he looked pretty good there. But yeah, I mean, they got after Davis Mills a decent amount, and the the Giants really just took care of business. Again, it's so hard for me to decide if the Giants are actually a good team or not, because yes, they're what, 7-2 now, but they don't really feel like it because they're just winning by the skin of their teeth or in relatively close games against terrible teams like the Texans, but hey, you can only play who's on your schedule and the Giants are doing just that and passing with flying colors. And I guess I'll touch on the other really crappy game of this slate as well, just kind of in unison. Of course, the Saints, the Steelers. This one was a bit of an upset for me. The Steelers obviously winning 20-10. to 10. Andy Dalton looked like absolute garbage. Kenny Pickett didn't look too much better, but at least he didn't make the mistakes. And I think that that's really what kind of took them over the top in this game. Andy Dalton had two interceptions, which proved to be key. Alvin Kamar got nothing going on the ground. They had a total of 29 rushing yards. The entire team. 29 rushing yards for the Saints, just brutal, and only 170-some through the air, so it was just brutal. It's nice to see Kenny Pickett avoid the turnovers this time, and he did a little bit on the ground as well. George Pickens, we saw him get involved on the ground, but yeah, it was just a sluggish game, 20-10. to I mean, nothing really exciting or too important happened here, and th- there's nothing else I can really say except for the fact that I don't know. I guess I'll just go back to something that my my um, kind of a family friend, I guess, he he was saying after the game happened, posted something just saying, blow it all up. Cut everybody. The only, only piece that they have really uh, for the Saints is Chris Olave, and I completely agree with that. You might honestly think about trading Alvin Kamara here just to get some picks for him because what's a running back going to do when you don't have anything else? They have a meh Defense. Marshawn Lattimore is good, but he's been injured for the past forever. Cam Jordan's just getting old. The coaching staff has got to go. He's not good. Dennis Allen. He's really not. Send him out of here. Get a new quarterback in. Get somebody in the draft. Build around Chris Olave and Marshawn Lattimore as your offensive and defensive pieces, respectively. Yeah. And for the Steelers, like I said, not really much to say here. I mean, Pickett. I don't know if he's the guy or not. Still, he hasn't had in a a really good game yet. But he managed to avoid the mistakes, and the Steelers, having T.J. Watt back, he seemed to be the difference maker. And T.J. Watt really put him over the top and let him secure the win there. Now, one of the go- one of the like sneaky good games, even though it wasn't ever that close, would be the Jaguars going on to play the Kansas City Chiefs. It was 27 to 17, and while the Chiefs just barely covered the spread, I think I predicted like 26 to 17 here, so I was really really close on this one too. But it didn't really feel that close. It didn't feel like ten points close. The Chiefs really had their way outside of uh, a pretty crappy fumble that they had. I think they actually might have had two of them. Honestly, one off of a uh, one off of a kick return and one down in the red zone as well. Didn't really matter for either of them because the Jags didn't score off of either, which was bad. Because I mean, for, for, for the Jags, they just missed a field goal at the end of the half off of that one. But yeah, and then Patrick Mahomes did have an interception in the second half, but it was 27 to 10 at the time, and the game was just so out of reach; it didn't really seem to matter. So, really, my, my the only things that I could really, I guess, take as a take as a takeaway here, I guess, is Trevor Lawrence finally looked. He had he had another like a second consecutive good game here, so that was nice to see. So I guess going into the Jaguars, just recapping what they did. Trevor Lawrence, he was about 75 percent completion. Six and a half yards per attempt, and then two touchdowns. Like I said, he was mistake-free, no fumbles or anything like that. Travis Etienne couldn't get anything going on the ground or through the air. Christian Kirk had a good game, so, I mean, that's always a plus. Zay Jones did. Marvin Jones had an incredible, like, 30-some-yard catch. That was just absolutely awesome to see. And honestly, the Jaguars' defense didn't look too bad. Yes, they could not sack Patrick Mahomes whatsoever. They did get the pick, but they were able to stop the run for the most part. Uh, until kind of the end of the game, I uh, and that's that's where I kind of want to shift into the Chiefs here because that's really all this game was about. Isaac Pacheco looks like he's taken over the the role of the lead running back here, uh, completely taken away from Clyde Edwards-Helaire. edwards Alaire was completely blanked on the stat sheet; didn't even get a single carry. He had two targets in the pass game, but outside of that, Pacheco had 16 carries on the ground for 82 yards. He also contributed, uh, like like just. I don't know, just just more as a blocker, I guess, than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ever would. So he looked really good there as well. Mahomes got his on the ground. Kadarius Toney was involved on the ground and through the air. So I think that that was a huge get for the Chiefs. He's looking good. He scored his first NFL touchdown, which is crazy because he's been on the Giants for an entire season and half a season now that he's only getting his first touchdown. But hey, it's nice to see Travis Kelsey, Marquez Valdez-Scantling were the other two leading receivers, both of which getting a touchdown as well. Chiefs' offense is looking great. They finally got their running back, it seems, in Isaac Pacheco. They got their gadget guy and in, in Kadarius Toney to use him in the role that Tyreek Hill would contribute as a returner. Mar- Marquez Valdez Scantling seems to be the deep threat, and then Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey. Now for my for the Chiefs, for my takeaway, I mean you, you can all you can definitely point to the defense and say, hey, look at them, because. They had five sacks on the day, but I kind of want to look past that. And I just want to say Patrick Mahomes is a animal. Oh my God. I don't even know how to describe him. He leads the league in passing yards, leads the league in passing touchdowns. He's just an absolute weapon. And he is the shoe in MVP right now. And probably for the rest of the season, the gap between him and the second quarterback after how poorly Josh Allen has been playing it, it seems continental, at this point he's just playing out of his mind what does he have like 25 26 touchdowns through the air now it's incredible and yeah he's leading like I said he's leading the league in passing yards he's on track for maybe 6,000 passing yards this season great win for the Chiefs and with the Bills loss and continued uh, just woes Chiefs seem like like it it seems like the AFC is going to go through the Chiefs once again and congratulations can't believe that that people including myself kind of doubted him going into this season I thought that they had a really tough division and I thought that they would struggle, but alas, could not be more wrong. So, as continues Gabe beating Crow. <laughs> Next game up here, we have the Miami Dolphins blowing out the Cleveland Browns 39 to 17. The game started close, I guess. I guess you could say that. The Browns got the first touchdown on a four play 53 yard drive so that was pretty cool to see unfortunately for them they did not score once again until they were down by 17 points and from then on yeah it just kind of seemed insurmountable really did throughout the entire first game and in this case it wasn't a brother storyline it was a namesake storyline it was two cousins Bradley Chubb and Nick Chubb and They kind of had parallel games, and yes, they are cousins. I did hear that on the broadcast, and I looked it up afterwards, and from what I could see, that's actually true. I didn't know that. I thought they just kind of shared the last name, but Nick Chubb for the Browns, I'll start with him. He had honestly one of his worst games I've seen in a long time, only 63 yards. Yes, he had the touchdown, did a little bit through the air, but outside of that, he didn't look great at all, and the Browns' run game for like the third or fourth straight week has not looked good. And I mean, outside of that Bengals game where they just kind of ran all over him, Jacoby Brissett, once again, it's just an average starter through the air, roughly two thirds of his passes completed just over 200 yards of touchdown, not enough to overcome anything. Mari Cooper, since he was on the road was pretty much blanked because he just can't show up on the road, but Donovan Peoples-Jones, he was all right. Uh, through the air but I mean outside of Amari Cooper and occasionally DPJ they've got nothing David Bell I know that they wanted him and he was supposed to be a prospect he's nothing Harrison Bryant hasn't done a thing Kareem Hunt isn't even contributing anymore Anthony Schwartz he's a ghost I mean it's just crazy now I want to switch over to the Dolphins and obviously like I said Nick Chubb had a great game it, as opposed to his opposed to his cousin he had a couple of tackles he had a half of a sack, and that doesn't seem like much, but he had three QB hits. He was getting after Jacoby Brissett so much. it was just, I, I felt bad for him. I really, really did. But the story, again, in this game was Tua Tegavailoa. He looked very, very good. Once again, entire Tyreek Hill didn't even have a big game. He only had five catches, 44 yards, and a tug here. But Tua was so accurate. Once again, perfect. No interceptions, no fumbles or anything like that. And he also had... Ah, uh, he also had his three touchdowns, which he's had for a couple weeks now. And it might be crazy for me to say this, but is looking like an MVP. It wouldn't be stupid to put him in that conversation behind Mahomes, of course, because Tua's been playing mistake-free and obviously missing those two or three games that he did is going to cost him, but he's been playing so well. He really, really has. He still leads the league in QBR, still leads the league in passer rating, leads the league in... in like. Uh, average yards per throw, which is just incredible. And I think that a huge beneficiary from Tua doing so well through the air is also their run game and vice versa. I think Tua benefits off having a great run game now with Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert, both uh, Mike McDaniels guys from San Francisco combined. They averaged seven and a half yards a carry and two touchdowns on 25 carries, which is just ridiculous. There's 195 yards on the ground between the two of them. And well, I mean, if you take away, the scat 11 yards that Selvin Ahmed had. But Jeff Wilson Jr., He Mostert, they looked incredible. Wilson Jr., he had 17 carries and also did a bit through the air as well. So it looks like he's kind of taken over more and more of a role here. Maybe he's the number one. But... Yeah, I mean, the run game is working in unison with the passing game, and the Dolphins are firing on all cylinders. Like I said, their defense looks incredible. Their corners are incredible. Their kick returns and punt returns look great. They have a solid kicker. Their quarterback is playing out of this world, and the run game is incredible. I just don't know what what else I can say about the Dolphins. They're now first place in the AFC East at 7-3, and and they look like, honestly, in my opinion, the second-best team in the AFC right behind the Chiefs right now. And honestly, if the Dolphins and Chiefs played... I'm not sure who I'd take. At this point, they both look pretty damn incredible. I think it could go either way. So those two right now are the class of the AFC in my opinion. Now getting into the later afternoon games, we have we got a couple of good ones. I'm going to start with the worst of the two, I guess, just because, you know, we, we can get get through them relatively quickly here. Cardinals and Rams, this was a battle of the backups. I said it in uh, prior to the game even happening that Matt Stafford was going to be out, and he was. I didn't know that Kyler Murray was going to be out, because, but he ended up being out, so it was Colt McCoy versus John Wolford. Not fun whatsoever. And, I mean, yeah, it's just an epic backup battle, which is funny to see. Trace McSorley even came in at some point here, which, which was crazy for an injured at the time, Colt McCoy, but he came in and finished out the game, and he looked pretty darn good. However... That's kind of where my first takeaway is going to be for the Cardinals. In this is the first week all season, really, outside of, I don't know, maybe against the Raiders way back then. The Cardinals offense looked pretty good. It looked efficient. It really did. Colt McCoy was 26-37, 238 yards a touchdown. They got the run game going to an extent. I mean, still not too great, but still, I mean the offense looked just like it was more under control and it wasn't as sporadic or too lenient on one player. And I don't want to read too much into it, but I think we might be putting a little too much of the blame on the organization rather than Kyler Murray. Is Kyler Murray part of the problem here? That's just what I wrote down at the, at the end of the game here. And they put up 27 points. They beat the Rams on the road, which is pretty incredible for them. And like I said, they didn't look bad. At any point during this game, the offense, they struggled a little bit to run the ball. But I mean, outside of that, they're working with backup quarterbacks. So, yeah, I mean, it, good win for the Cardinals. They're still a pretty shitty team. Not not going to like lie or try and blow them up any more than their egos should be blown up. But congrats, I guess. You beat a division rival, you're four and six. Still playoffs are kind of out of the question, but it just leads... It just creates, I guess, a lot of things for the Cardinals to think about. Is, is Cliff the answer? Maybe. Is Kyler the answer? But once again, similar to the Broncos, you just paid them a boatload of money, and you just re-extended uh, Cliff Kingsbury. So in my opinion, they're in the same situation as the Broncos. They suck, but they extended everybody, so there's not really much they can do about it. So that's kind of frustrating, but hey, whatever. Good win. As for the Rams, completely flipped the script. They are done for. They really, really are. Matt Stafford was out. I mean, it didn't really matter because John Wolford was essentially a Matt. He had a Matt Stafford game in in, in here. But the thing that I want to really touch on here, I, I there's not much to say about the Rams. I can go through it quick. John Wolford was as average as a day as long, pretty much just like how Matt Stafford has been. They have no run game. They had 20 carries for 66 yards. Their leading runner was Akers with 22 yards, which is just pitiful. It really is. And then they didn't get much going through the air. Their defense is meh. Even with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, they don't really seem to be doing much of anything at this point. So what do I really want to talk about here? I guess the biggest blow to any team in recent memory, Cooper Cup, obviously he got hurt. He finished the game with three catches for negative one yards, which is just weird. I mean, it's just a weird stat line as I'll get out, especially for someone of his caliber, but obviously he left the game early with an ankle injury, and Sean McVay did come out saying that it did not look good, and that's a wrap. I mean, if if Cooper Cup was still okay, and even if they lost this game, uh, like, Matt Stafford would come back. They, they're 3-6, and six, but the NFC isn't that great. If they were able to win out or something, maybe they could have a chance, but... Now, I don't, I don't care who's that quarterback. Cooper Cup is gone. This offense has nothing. Van Jefferson, I don't care. Tyler Higby, I don't care. Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, I don't care. You don't have a run game. Now, you don't have a pass game now that Cooper Cup is gone. This team is about to be one of the worst I think I've ever seen. And, well, m- not ever seen because it, obviously there's been worse teams, but how about one of the worst Super Bowl champion teams I've ever seen? They can realistically now at 3-6 without Cooper Cup, I'm going to assume that they don't have him for the rest of the year with how Sean McVay spoke about it. I don't know. I mean, could they realistically contend for a top-five pick? Yes, but that's the thing. They traded away their picks. I think, who has the Rams pick in this this trade? Do the Lions have it? Lions are looking at two top-ten picks here. I mean, against the Saints, could they win there? The Saints are favored. They're not beating the Chiefs. They're not beating the Seahawks. Can they beat the Raiders? Maybe. I don't think they're going to beat the Packers anymore. They could probably beat the Broncos, but dear God, that's going to be a shitty game. They're not beating the Chargers, and they won't beat the Seahawks again on the road. That's five games that I have no faith in them winning, so that would put them at best 6-11, and that's a top 10 pick for me, but they don't even have it because it's going to the Lions. So yeah, forget that game. Now, next up, this was kind of kind of a cool game, I guess. And, of course, I'm talking about the Colts going to the Raiders. It was a little weird because I saw Matt Ryan go out as the starter. And I was like, wait, what the hell? What's going on here? I thought they were going with uh, Ellinger. turns out that must have been Frank Reich's call because Matt Ryan came in as soon as Jeff Saturday came in. And Jameer say, I'm assuming he let Jeff Saturday do it. And speaking of Jeff Saturday, it's his first game ever being a coach. And it's his first win, which is really cool to see and the Colts didn't look bad they finally looked like a decent team Matt Ryan 75% completion percentage that's pretty damn good right and a little over 200 yards and a touchdown but that that doesn't really matter to me what matters to me is the fact that the ground game the offensive line of the Colts finally looked good I don't know if that's because of Jeff Saturday I don't want to give him too much credit because it's only one game but he was an offensive lineman, and now all of a sudden the offensive line starts to look good. Jonathan Taylor went for over 140 yards on just over 20 carries in this game. That's awesome. He also had a touchdown on the ground. He finally looked like him, like his old self. Paris Campbell was the main beneficiary through the air here, but the big story for me is the Colts finally getting a win. Jeff Saturday really has that magic. Honestly, it was Matt Ryan was back in at starter, and they took the W. And... Yeah, it was just really cool to see. And it was cool to see their offensive lines start to get better. I really do like that. And I think that that could be maybe because of Jeff Saturday. Maybe maybe he knows a little bit more than we're giving him credit for. On the flip side, though, like I said, I don't really want to give Jeff Saturday too much credit here for this win. I want to do more than that and just put it on Josh McDaniels for being terrible. I mean, oh my god, you cannot beat the Colts who are in a free fall with a recently fired head coach hiring a new coach who has never coached in his life before outside of, like, what, a a high school game? I don't even know if he's had one of those. And then a quarterback coming off of a benching, and you still can't win at home? Josh McDaniels is pitiful. People are calling for his seat uh, in—damn right— they definitely should. I mean, you know? Like he's just so bad. And it's not even like the Raiders did anything outlandishly terrible here. Derek Carr looked fine, right? I mean he really did. 24, 38, 248 yards, two touchdowns. Josh Jacobs had his. He was somewhat decent on the ground, 78 yards and a touchdown here. I mean if you tell the if if you were to tell anybody that their quarterback played like that and they had a running back do well like that, I mean you'd think like, hey, we, we probably did pretty good and unfortunately, honestly, if you would have told them, hey, you put up 20 points against the Colts, you would have, any, any person in their right mind would have said, yeah, we won, the Colts suck, they really do, and the, the Raiders took the lead, what, in the third quarter by one point, but then from then on, they just proceeded to lose, I guess, and then they, they took one again late, like, really, really late, went up, I think they failed a two-point conversion or something like that, but then Colts came back on him. Stefan Gilmore closed it out with an inner or not an interception, maybe a fumble recovery or a pass breakup or something. I don't know. I just remember him celebrating. Yeah, it, it wasn't a good game. Wasn't anything pretty, but the big takeaway for me there is like I said, Josh McDaniels, he does he have the potential to be one and done? I don't know, he might. It's it's that bad. With that kind of talent, Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, uh, you just signed, what, Unique and Ngakwe, and, I mean, Josh Jacobs having a pretty career year. I mean, what are you doing? Hunter Renfro, I know Darren Waller's out, but dear God. Raiders are just a mess. Time to blow it up. I've been saying it for a couple of teams. I'll say it for them, too. Now, next game, uh, probably the second game of the day, and it was also Fox's game of the... another one of the Fox's game of the day. because It, it turns out that Fox has... Two, like I guess there's two games of the day, one for the 1 p.m. slate and then one for the afternoon slate. The afternoon slate game of the week was uh, the Cowboys going into to Green Bay to play the Packers. Obviously, it was a revenge game, Aaron Rodgers versus Mike McCarthy, and just another revenge game for every single time that these teams play in the playoffs. It seems like every single time that they play, Aaron Rodgers has this improbable comeback victory off of like a game-winning field goal or something like that in... Well, spoiler alert, that's exactly what happened here, and it was a really, really exciting game, and honestly, I'll start with my takeaway here, it was the fact that maybe every week needs to be a revenge game for Aaron Rodgers, but more so than that, Christian Watson finally, finally looked the part, finally, finally. In a, it was a crazy, crazy comeback victory that the Packers had. The Cowboys—they were only the line said that they were favored by four points. They were heavy favorites. Let's be completely honest here. No one thought that the Packers had a shot here. No one did, and I mean, they—they they pulled it off. They really did. The—I the, want to say that the uh, Cowboys were up 28 to 14 at one point, and then two and two consecutive touchdowns by Christian Watson from Aaron Rodgers, and yeah goes to overtime, the Packers force a a turnover on downs by the Cowboys, and they kick a field goal and win it. Dak Prescott, he looked all right, except for the fact that his two mistakes cost them dearly. He did have two interceptions in this game, and both of them resulted in Packers touchdowns. He threw a pick, and right after that, the Packers scored the next drive, he threw a pick, and on the very next drive, the Packers scored again. He gave the Packers great field position, pretty much spotted them 14 points here, which yeah, looking at the final score, definitely would have came in handy, you know? But I mean, if you take away those two interceptions, he didn't do too terribly. And I know, once again, oh, you can take away two interceptions, you can take away anything and look at something in a completely different light. I'm not trying to just completely disperse him of any accountability here, but... 27 of 46, 265 yards and three tugs. Tony Pollard looks incredible on the ground. I think he just needs to be the number one back. I know that Zeke hasn't been in. Keep Honestly, it doesn't matter. Tony Pollard's that dude. CeeDee Lamb finally had a game worthy of being called a number one wide receiver. 11 catches, 150 yards, two touchdowns. He looked great. Dalton Schultz's security blanket got his way as well. He did very, very well. Honestly, the Cowboys played a very good game. They got after Aaron Rodgers a couple of times here. And, yeah, it looks like they should have done well. They got two, I think Amari Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers both lost a fumble as well, so you would have thought that they would have won it here. It's a little weird, though, because Aaron Rodgers, he threw the ball only 20 times, and they ran it 40 times, which is a 2-1 to -to run-to-pass ratio, which... Honestly, it's, it's how the, the Packers are going to be because it honestly seems to have worked. They played bully ball, and Aaron Rodgers really capitalized off of that play action, averaging 11.2 yards per per attempt and three touchdowns through the air. He looked great. He looked like Aaron Rodgers again. And then on the ground, Aaron Jones continues to be the lead back. 24 carries, 138 yards of touchdown. A.J. Dillon, nice number two there, 13 for 65. But like I said, Christian Watson finally had a game. He had four catches, and three of them were for touchdowns. One was a long 58-yard bomb, but he had four for 107. The three tugs that I mentioned, Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard, really the only two wide receivers that caught anything. No tight ends, no other receivers. It was just Watson, Watkins, and Alan Lazard that made up just about everything outside of some screenplays to Aaron Jones. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely incredible by the Green Bay Packers here. Really, really cool. I mean, they're 4-6, and six, and the Vikings are 8-1. and one. They're really not out of anything. Uh, When it comes to or in for anything, when it comes to like the division or anything like that, I don't think they have a shot at winning it. Still, but it was awesome to see and a little bit of Aaron Rodgers' magic comeback magic every single time they play Dallas. It was that was the very first playoff game that I've ever watched in my life as a football fan was Aaron Rodgers versus Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's rookie season. I remember sitting there watching it with my father, and my father he told me, "Well, I I thought that the Cowboys were going to win because they were ahead by so much," and my father's telling me. Don't ever count out Aaron Rodgers. And he told me about how incredible Aaron Rodgers was. And right in front of my eyes, he had that incredible comeback drive, winning it on the game-winning field goal. Yeah, so a whole bunch of amnesia. Or not amnesia. God, what am I talking about? Deja vu. Deja vu. I guess <laughs> that, that, that's, that, that's the right terminology there, but yeah, it took me back and it was really cool to see. So really, really loved that game. Now, finally, the last game was Sunday night football, Los Angeles Chargers going on to take on the San Francisco 49ers in, eh, I, it was pretty underwhelming as a game in total, nothing really special happened here. I mean, obviously a score 22 to 16, you would assume so that nothing really happened, just a lot, a lot of field goals happen in this one. I mean, there were two two rushing touchdowns by uh, by the 49ers, and then a passing by the by the Chargers. But other than that, three field goals for the Chargers, and another two for the 49ers. Here, I'll start with the Chargers because. It it there wasn't really too much going on besides the fact that like Brandon Staley's gonna he's got to be under the hot seat. I don't know how you can underachieve this much with such a loaded roster. And yes, I know Mike Williams is out, Keenan Allen is out, and then on top of that you have all the injuries to the defense: Joey Bosa, uh, J. C. Jackson, all that kind of stuff. But still, I mean you have a all-star quarterback a supposedly great running back in Austin Eckler but you just can't seem to get anything going just, Justin Herbert's thrown to lawn chairs out there right now and he was 21 of 35 less than 200 yards a touchdown and a pick which is another horrendous stat line for a great quarterback here and on the ground they had 51 total yards which is pitiful but kind of the big thing i guess if you're a Chargers fan was Justin Herbert he went out of the game believe he took a hit to the head, which definitely probably threw a couple of people off, got him worried. Chase Daniels played, what, did he have like two throws, only played a series or two. Justin Herbert came back in after half, though, and he was fine, but still not enough for them to uh, take the win from the 49ers. Now, the 49ers, they're 5-4, and four, and they're a weird team to me. I don't know if they're good or not because they have all the people. They have a great defense, and they look like they're great, but then they have games like this. It seems like they constantly play to their competition. They'll, they're they're going to play with them and just barely win or play down to someone and just barely lose. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of what they did here. They played down to a Chargers team that was just really lacking in all facets. Jimmy Garoppolo was averages the day as long, as I like to say. Yes, he had a rushing touchdown, but through the air, he was meh. Wasn't too bad average quarterback rating, average passer rating, stuff like that. Elijah Mitchell, first game back. I was surprised to see him. I didn't think he was going to play this week, but he looked great on the ground. 18 carries, 89 yards, almost five yards a carry. That was cool to see. And then him in tandem with Christian McCaffrey. I just love to see it. Now, McCaffrey didn't get Jack going on the ground, only 2.7 yards a carry in a tug. But I mean, through the air, Christian McCaffrey is still himself. So it's really cool to see them work as a tandem. I think Elijah Mitchell is obviously the much better runner like pure runner, but Christian McCaffrey as a dual threat is just crazy to see. Brandon Ayuk looked good. Debo Samuel was essentially non-existent, but it didn't seem to matter. And outside of a mistake by Brandon Ayuk uh, fumbling, they played a pretty clean game. And like I said, they got some sacks in there. Nick Bosa, who I said was going to be Defensive Player of the Year, got another one in there. He looked really good. Uh, Carlos Omenihue, he looked good as well. So that was really, really cool to see. wasn't that great of a game, but hey, I mean, two star-studded teams combining in a meh matchup can't really ask for anything else I guess it wasn't a terrible game I'll say that much for the most part so I'll take it and yeah that th- that's all that'll that we have here for our review of all the games like I said we can't really complain we had a great week of football Seahawks Bucks great game Vikings Bills great game Lions Bears great game Chiefs Jaguars great game Dolphins Browns great game I mean Colts Raiders that was relatively exciting even though it wasn't that great Packers, Cowboys, great game, so much fun to watch, and yeah, it was so much fun, so great week of football, I just want to talk a little bit about this Monday night game between Washington and Philadelphia, Washington's on the road to face the Eagles, I think the Eagles are favored by 11, I know that I kind of get, I guess called out isn't the right word, but people people are kind of saying like, hey, you're making some weird, just wild, far out there decisions when it comes to your picks against the spread and stuff, and I'm going to do another one here guys I mean the Eagles are 8-0 Washington's 4-5 Taylor Heineke I do like him and like I said I do enjoy Washington in general I think that they got a lot of guys that you can root for I like the commanders I like the new logo and stuff and the jerseys as I know a lot of people don't but the thing is they're just not that great of a football team and the Eagles are they are 8-0 they're the best team in the league clearly outside of maybe the Chiefs and they, they aren't even that injured. I mean, the only people on their IR right now is Josh Job, the cornerback, being out, and then Avante Maddox being moved to IR. Other than that, everybody's here. I think Jordan Davis is expected to play as well. So a full-strength Eagles team at home in prime time? Yeah, I don't think that the that the, that the, that the commanders have much of a chance at all. Jonathan Williams, their running back, is not going to play. Chase Young's still out. Like I said, it's Taylor Heineke and David Mayo. Their other linebacker is out. And one of their guards, Andrew Norwell, essentially the only stalwart on that offensive line is also probably not going to play, though he still might. Dear God, I mean, give me the Eagles to just run over the commanders. And when I say run over, I mean run Over, I think they are going to put up at least 200 yards of offense on the ground in this game, followed by another 200 or so through the air, thanks to Jalen Hurts. That's my bold prediction. They're going to go 200 and 200. (laughs) I guess here. Like I said, they're favored by 11. Give me the Philadelphia Eagles to win 31 to 16 here. Weird score, I know, but I can see a touchdown and maybe three field goals by the Commanders at most. That's going to be it for me. And yeah, give me the Eagles to cap off a pretty pitiful week for my picks. Now, that's all that I do have for you guys today. Sorry for a little bit of a longer episode, but I know that most of you guys do enjoy that stuff. So, hey, appreciate you guys listening. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Podvine, Wisdom. I'm moving all over as much as I can, really starting to expand. And like I said, and like I posted the other day, we hit 400 listeners on our 40th episode. So can't thank you guys enough, making a making a kid's dream come true, even though I'm not much of a kid in that anymore, you know. thanks you guys. Thank you guys so much. Hope you guys enjoy the game tonight. Have a great week. Can't wait to talk to you guys on Wednesday.